Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And so John, this herald, is saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We see this, this title that John gives to Jesus. We see it again in verse 36, which we will look at next week. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Every creature's unique in the song that it sings, all exclaiming, indescribable. Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Today, our scripture says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. In this one sentence, John the Baptist summarized the greatest work of Jesus to deal with the sin problem afflicting the human race. Every word of this sentence is important. John said this as he saw Jesus coming toward him. As a preacher, John first saw Jesus himself and then told all his listeners to look upon Jesus, to behold him. Today, as believers in Jesus Christ, we must always look upon him for everything. Now let's join Pastor Rob. Well, we've been spending quite a bit of time in this first chapter, and there's a lot here, honestly, in this chapter, and we don't want to rush it. Last week, we looked at verses 19 through 28, and we looked at John the Baptist's ministry. He was the forerunner of Jesus Christ. He was the herald, if you will. You recall that whenever a, a king or a, a, a magistrate, oftentimes in the old days, whenever they would travel from place to place or whenever they had something to say, a herald, well, a person who was designed for that purpose, would go out in front of the king and he would proclaim what the king was going to do or what the king was going to say. He was going to get their attention. And really, that's what John the Baptist's role was, was to get people's attention. He was to get the attention and get people prepared for the Lord. And so we looked at John the Baptist's ministry. This morning, we're going to be looking at chapter 29 through 34, and I would be willing to say this is probably going to be one of the most important messages you'll hear from this pulpit this morning, because it's so needed, and uh, it, it's something, honestly, I think in our, in our culture, in, especially in the church today, there's a lot of confusion, and if there's not any confusion, there's certainly a lot of fear and misunderstanding about who the Holy Spirit is. And I think once we look at the passage we're looking at, You'll understand what I'm talking about. Let's read it to, um, let me read it to you and just follow along with me if you would. John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 29, it says, The next day, John, this is John the Baptist, 
not the author of the gospel, but John the Baptist, says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel, therefore I came baptizing with water. And John bore witness, saying, I, um, excuse me, and John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven like a dove, and he remained upon him. And I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, Upon whom you see the Spirit descending and remaining on him, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and testified that this is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. And so John, again, is pointing, which is what a herald does. He's pointing to the one who is more important. If you remember when we looked last week, John, as the Jews were coming out of Jerusalem and all the towns, they were coming out to the desert, really, out to the Jordan in that area, which is very desert-like in the valley there. And he was preaching a message of repentance. And remember, they came out saying, who are you? Tell us who you are. Are you the Christ? Are you Elijah the prophet? Which is kind of silly because Elijah had died hundreds of years prior. Are you, the, are you Elijah the prophet, or are you the, the prophet spoken of in Deuteronomy 18? Who are you that we can go back and tell the, those who sent us? Who are you? And John's message was pretty much the same. He says, I'm the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord. John was a herald. He was sent to prepare the people for his cousin, Jesus Christ who would come onto the scene, preparing the way. Let's go back at verse 29. It says, The next day John saw Jesus coming toward him, saying, Behold, the Lamb of God. Again, he's like the town crier in a sense. He's, Hear ye, hear ye. (laughs) The king is on the move. His ministry is going to begin. And what did John say? He said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be exalted and every mountain and hill brought low. The crooked places shall be made straight and the rough places smooth. And that's exactly what John would do. He would would make things smooth. He would get things ready for the great King of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus Christ. And notice that John wasn't pointing them to himself. He was pointing them to the scripture, which is always a very good thing to do. Any pastor, any leader, whoever it is in Christendom, it's never good to be pointing your finger at yourself. Point your finger to Jesus. Point your finger to him. Point your finger to his word, because his word will not return void. It will accomplish all that it has gone forth. It will accomplish. Even if you ignore it today, you're going to remember it at some point, and God will remind you. And I love that about the Lord. His word has a, has a way of resonating in your conscience and in your heart. And oftentimes he brings it up when you least expect it. Have you ever been sharing with somebody and you haven't really thought about a scripture in ages and all of a sudden it just pops out of your mouth? Is that a mistake? No. You, like David, could say, I've, I've hid your word in my heart. And that's what we need to do. And that's why it's so important to point to the scripture. His scripture, his word is alive. It is not dead. It is alive. It has always been alive. And it's more alive than anything else. More alive than you and I sitting in this chair, if you can believe that. 
And he would also point to another Old Testament prophet, Malachi, who, who prophesied hundreds of years before John would come on the scene. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And so John, this herald, is saying, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We see this, this title that John gives to Jesus. We see it again in verse 36, which we will look at next week. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God. Behold, the Lamb of God. And this ought to remind all of John, John the Baptist's followers As he said, behold the Lamb of God, it ought to remind them of what? Back in in Exodus, remember the Passover. As the Jews were enslaved there in Egypt, remember God was going to bring judgment upon not only Egypt and Pharaoh, but he was going to bring judgment upon the gods of Egypt. And what did he tell the Jews that fateful night? He said, take a lamb of the first year, a male without blemish. Take the blood of that lamb and put it on the lentils of your doorposts and on the sides. And what does it spell? It, it, it's a cross, really. When you do that and then you do that, what have, we, what have you got? You've got a cross. Even back then, it was prefiguring Jesus Christ going to the cross, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And when the blood was on the lentils of the doorposts, anyone inside that home was safe from the the angel of death that would pass over. And as a result of that passing over, anyone who was outside the firstborn of all flesh and of all animals would die. The firstborn. And you recall what happened to Egypt. They were faithless. They didn't believe in God. And Pharaoh himself, along with millions of other Egyptians, lost their firstborn that night. But Jesus is the Passover. He's the Passover lamb. He took the the punishment for you and I. And under his blood, if we are in Jesus Christ, his blood being applied to our life through his death and through his resurrection, that blood cleanses us from all sin. And we have been made clean and pure in his sight. Do you feel clean and pure in his sight? Maybe some of you do. And praise the Lord if you do. Because you've got a clear conscience. But if your conscience is not clear, that's okay. Because that's what we're here for. That's what prayer is for. That's what confession is for. It really. Confess your sins. Confess them to the Lord. And be clean and be set free. Whom the Son has set free is free indeed. And so many people are still shackled by past sin. And God says, why are you still dwelling on the past? Why are you still... There at the grave clothes of that sin. Haven't I forgiven you that years ago? Then why are you still child of God bringing this up? Why are you still wallowing in this death when I have set you free and I've given you life? Some people like death. Some people cling to the grave clothes because it's comfortable. They've been in the world long enough. They, they want to hold on to it. Or maybe they feel that they can atone for their own sin. If I do enough good things, maybe I can be accepted by God. Well, that's not Christianity at all. In fact, that's just religion. Religion says you've got to do this in order to be received and accepted by God. Jesus comes and says, I've done everything for you. All you need to do is believe in me, what I did on the cross for you. He's done everything, and all you have to do is believe. And boy, is that a stumbling block to most people. But Jesus is the Passover lamb. And Isaiah chapter 53 
What does the great prophet say? He says, speaking of Jesus in that chapter, he said, He was oppressed and was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter. And we're going to see this as we look at Good Friday coming up. Next week is Palm Sunday. Next Sunday and the following Friday is Good Friday. We'll look at the, the crucifixion and then certainly on Sunday morning, the resurrection. But notice, he was as a lamb led to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shears is silent, he opened not his mouth. And it says later on in verse 12 that he bore the sin of many. Jesus Christ is the Passover lamb. And he wasn't just the Passover lamb for the Jews He was the Passover lamb for all people. In Luke chapter 2, it says, remember when the angel uh, of the Lord was speaking to the shepherds in the field on that fateful morning or that evening. What did the angel say to those shepherds in the field? Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to what? Only the Jews? Only to those who are good? No. He says, good tidings of great joy will be... To all people. To all people. In the Greek, all means only a few. No, it means all. Every single one of you. Every single person who has ever been born. And then even in Luke chapter 24, Jesus speaking to the two disciples along the road to Emmaus, what did he say to them? Jesus said to them, Thus it is written, and thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to only the good people in church. Is that what he said? No, he did not. If you're reading your Bible, you know. He says that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. He's the God of all not just the God of the Jews. And the only way he could take away the sin of the world was through substitutionary atonement, which means someone is substituted in your place. When I deserve death and hell, Jesus took that upon himself. And he's imputed to me righteousness, his righteousness, that I don't deserve. And he paid the price, the penalty that I did deserve. That is amazing grace. That is incredible mercy. That is why we worship him. That is why we worship him. The life and blood of an innocent substitute to cover the sin of the guilty. I qualify for that. I am guilty of sin. Are you guilty of sin? If you don't think you're guilty of sin, guess what? Then you have no need for a savior. But every one of us, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. So therefore, we are all in need of a Savior. The shepherd of your soul, Jesus Christ. The one who loves you more than anybody could love you. I love that about him. He loves you so much. And he did it once and for all. In Hebrews chapter 9. Let me see here. In Hebrews chapter 9, what does it say? But Christ came as a high priest of the good things to come with a greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, not with the blood of goats and calves, but with his own blood he entered the most holy place once and for all. Notice, once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies for the purifying of the flesh... 
How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living in God? What an awesome message. And this, God the Father is pleased. He is appeased as well as pleased with the death of his son, Jesus Christ. In Isaiah 53, what does it tell us in verse 10? Yet it pleased the Lord to crush him. It pleased God the Father to bruise his son, to crush him for the atonement of all of us. It wasn't that God was some kind of mean father. He knew it was the only way, and the son willingly submitted himself to the will of the father. He willingly did it. In Romans chapter 3, verse 24, it says, uh, concerning all who believe in Jesus, the Apostle Paul said, said this, that we are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God sent forth, here's our good word for the day, as a propitiation by his blood through faith to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance, God has passed over the sins that were previously committed. This idea of propitiation, it literally is to be reconciled, to be reconciled, to conciliate, um, to be uh, appeased. And see, God is not only appeased and satisfied with Christ being offered by means of the crucifixion, but because of his, this propitiation that Jesus obtained for us, we are now also reconciled to a holy God. I would say that's pretty good news, wouldn't you? I know the way I was before Christ. And even as a Christian, God still has a lot of work to do. But I remember the way I was. I'm not that way anymore, but I'm not where I want to be yet. I'm in a process. Don't get discouraged, folks, if you're going through difficulties. It doesn't mean that you've created some great sin. God is sanctifying you. It's going to take time. It's going to take time. You've got to be patient. And just call upon him and let him do the work. Don't fight. Don't stress about it. Just Offer yourself to him. Offer yourself to him. You can look at those other two verses. They speak of this propitiation. But notice in verse 30, back in our text this morning, this is he, John the Baptist said, of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Now John was six months older than Jesus. So John was born first. And he was the forerunner. And certainly Jesus would come after There's no doubt about that. But John was also very aware that Jesus was preexistent. Meaning before he was incarnate in the Virgin Mary, he existed before then from eternity past. He has always been with the God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with him in the beginning. Our beginning, the beginning of the heavens and the earth and time itself. But before all that came to pass, he existed always. He's always been there. It blows my mind and sometimes my brain just wants to explode when I think about it too much. I would encourage you to think about it too much and let your mind get carried away. That's where your worship is going to be begin. It's where it's going to be begin. Be begin? Is that a new word? That's where your worship is going to begin. Because you're in awe of him. If you've got a God you can figure out, you, you know, you're in sad shape. We serve a God who is abundantly beyond our imagination. 
With our finite minds, we can't understand the infinite. We will never understand the infinite. Even in his presence, eons, millions of years will go by if there's even time in eternity. Millions of years will fly by and we will still be dropping our, draw, our jaws. Our jaws will still be dropping in awe and wonder of him. Notice in verse 31, he says, I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. John the Baptist knew Jesus. The, the scripture doesn't tell us how close they were. We knew they were cousins because John's mother, Elizabeth, was cousin to Mary. So John and Jesus, John the Baptist and Jesus Christ were related in the flesh. And certainly they would go up to the feast days three times a year and Perhaps they spent time together. John was not unaware of Jesus, but he didn't know who it was that God was going to anoint to be the chosen one, the Messiah. And the Lord did reveal it finally to John. This is the one. And that's why John would look at Jesus and say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Follow him. And all the people who are following John, John being that faithful forebearer, that, that faithful herald, he said, there he is. I've been talking about him up until now. There he is. I must increase, or I must decrease that he might increase. And John faded away. What a faithful servant. Great rewards waiting for him in glory. Even though his ministry was very short. But John knew who Jesus was, but he didn't know that he would be the one until the Lord revealed it. Verse 32, it says, And John bore witness, saying, I saw the Spirit descending from heaven, lotus, like a dove. Underline that in your Bible. Like a dove. He descended like a dove, and he remained upon him. A dove is a very peaceful bird. I've never known of a dove attacking people. George Hitchcock, when he made the movie The Birds, he didn't use doves. They're the most docile creatures around. The, the, the biggest thing you've got to worry about is when there's a bunch of them around, you better cover your head. But other than that, they're not going to attack you. Just keep throwing the breadcrumbs. But notice, like a dove. Movies. I remember Jesus of Nazareth by Franco Zeffirelli. My wife and I own this movie, and it's a really wonderful movie. I, I, I enjoy it. There's some things that aren't quite right but you know it's a, it's a good movie but one of the things that it shows a dove literally coming upon Jesus but that's not really what happened cuz how can a how can you describe the spirit of god coming upon Jesus how can you describe that unless you use a real dove cue the dove but the spirit of god just rested upon him and what peace and gentleness there is in other words, the Spirit of God, just as we sang earlier, he, he gently came upon him and remained upon him. And when the Spirit of God is moving and in control, guess what? There is peace and there's gentleness. There's a rest. There's a rest. Back in 1994, many of you remember, there was a thing going around in the church called the Toronto Blessing. It started in the Toronto Airport Vineyard Church, which ultimately was renamed in 1996 because in 1994 they, they attached themselves to this new doctrine 
of the Holy Spirit. They, they, first they were called the Airport Vineyard Church. Then in 1996, two years after this weirdness, they changed their name to Toronto Airport Christian Fellowship. And then later, in 2010, they just finally gave in and said, let's call our church Catch the Fire. Catch the Fire Toronto. I bring this up because it's important because people over the years have been confused when they see what the Spirit of God... That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585 Five eight six three one four zero. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.